What's up, everybody? This is the Charlotte Craft Sportscast. Welcome to our show. This is the show where I talk about craft beer and sports in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're not a fan of those things, you will not like this podcast. Uh, but today we will be talking about post-game for the Charlotte Hornets and their game against their last opponent, which was the Mavericks. And we'll also be talking about Panthers versus Falcons and how they have been looking so far because it, as always, has been a doozy for them. So let's jump into it. But uh, first, I just wanted to introduce the beer that I'm drinking this episode. It is called Lager Days. It is a lager, obviously, from Noda Brewing. Brewing. <laughs> if you haven't been to Noda Brewing, what have you been doing with your life? It's probably one of the, if not the most well-known brewery in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you don't know where it is, it is literally named after the place where it is in Noda, North Davidson. So you could definitely check it out. They also have a second location, which was their first location originally. Um, now it's called Noda OG. It's only open certain times of the week and maybe certain times of the year. I know it's only open typically on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think. So you'll definitely have to look and see what the exact hours are on that one. But um, it's a very cool spot. So if you can get to Noda OG, it's very small though. So you'll definitely want to go on, I would suggest maybe a Thursday um, or maybe earlier on a Friday or Saturday. Just because um, it's once it gets crowded, you know, it's hard to stop because it's just so small. And there's not a very big outdoor area, or at least I don't remember there being one. We went in the winter, so we weren't outside anyway. Um, and the parking was a little sketch, as it mostly is in Noda. So, but it's definitely worth a look. And Noda as a whole, too, if you haven't been there. Um, it's nothing like the atmosphere and the environment isn't anything special. But the beer is really good. They have the best selection, of, in my opinion. They pretty much have anything that anyone could like. And I also just enjoy um, the space, too. Even though it's not as cool, maybe, quote-unquote, as some of the other spaces in North Carolina or some of the other breweries in North Carolina or Charlotte, for that matter. I do think that it is still very cool, and they allow dogs, which is always a plus, and there's a nice grass area for the kids. It's not super huge, but there is. It's a nice little lawn out there, and they have a great outdoor area, a lot of outdoor seating, and they really adapted well to the pandemic, too. They come and serve you at your table. You don't wait that long, um, and um, last time I was there, they served us. It might have changed since then, but they usually have a lot of bartenders working, and um, a food truck is usually there. Our favorite is Ten Kitchen, so if you can go there when they're there. I don't know if they still go there. It's been a while since I've been out there, but it's a very good food truck there, and they have a lot of good beers. Uh, Jam Session is one of my favorites. It's at a lot of the grocery stores, so if you're looking for something that is only served at the brewery, maybe ask the the person that's there. I don't know if they're called a bartender or what, but you might just want to talk to them. But if you like a light beer, Jam Session's a great way to go. Hop, Drop, and Roll is really good. Um, it's a lighter beer. It's a little bit hoppier, so if you're into hops, but it's not too hoppy because I'm not a very big hoppy guy. Um, I, I drink some IPAs, but I really don't like to get in with those high, what they call IBUs. Um, I can't remember exactly... Uh, what IBU stands for it's something like something per unit or something like that it's basically just how hoppy and bitter um, international bitter units I don't remember um, but um, 
it's 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 a good it's a good beer. They've got a lot of good ones. Um, Gorgeous is a good seasonal beer if you get up there during the fall. It's a pumpkin beer. I'm not a huge pumpkin person, so it's not my favorite. But um, my wife loves it. It's her favorite. We always try to find it. It's hard to find in stores too. So if you're there, definitely get that. And um, Notahito, that's a very good one. That one was actually like on sale when I was there. It was only like four or five dollars for one of them. So it was on sale and it was very good. They also sell that one in stores too. So I guess I just like all the basic store stuff. But overall, a lot of good ones. I can't speak to any dark beers at all ever in this podcast. You will never hear me mention a dark beer. I really don't do dark beer. So if you're looking for porters or um, is it pilsners? Is that the word? No, not pilsner. Uh, really anything darker than like a hazy IPA. I cannot help you. But if you like anything hazy IPA or lighter, I am your man because I do enjoy Berliner Weiss, Lager, Pilsner, IPAs, really all the light ones. So, uh, but again, check out Noto Brewing. Super awesome. A lot of parking, great area um, to get a lot of brewery, breweries in. Uh, but out of all those in Noda, Noda is probably my favorite. Also, Wooden Robot, but this isn't their beer, so I'm not going to plug them right now. Uh, but let's jump into the. Hornets game. So they were playing the Mavericks and it was terrible from the start. I mean, it was honestly, you just saw it coming as soon as the game started. They went down zero to 10 and then they never looked back. I actually am almost, yeah, no, they didn't lead the entire game. So you can't really win if you don't do that, obviously. So that was a bit of a struggle to watch and they were just getting dominated from the very beginning. Porzingis went, I think, out of the first 15 points the Mavericks had. I think he had, like, 12 of them. No, he only did score 24 points the whole game, but within that first three minutes, he scored half of his points, and he was, like, 5 for 5 with 12 points. But we know that the Hornets have struggled with um, any team that has a dominant or even functional big man. We really don't have a true big man, especially with Plumlee out. But Plumlee doesn't defend, so that's a bit of an issue, even if he's there. Plumlee doesn't really add a rim protector. I was looking at the stats today, and I'm not going to do a deep dive dive into the stats, because if you really wanted to do that, you could look it up. But um, we are the worst defensive-rated team in the NBA. So that is a problem, and it's not going to be something that's going to be fixed this year. Uh, But some of those... Stats I'll get into here in a bit, but let's talk about the stats from the game. So the major ones that jump out, the Hornets got out-rebounded 38-50. to That is a little bit weird, I think, because the Hornets missed so many shots. So they definitely weren't getting a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, and let's see, the field goal percentage, 52% for the Mavericks, 40% for the Hornets. The Mavericks also shot... from three. And the Hornets still freaking suck from the free throw line. I don't know what it is about the Hornets, but they just cannot shoot free throws. Miles digressed in free throw shooting from last year. LaMelo has done great. He's like up at 90%. Hayward has been struggling a bit from the line. Oubre, I don't know what's going on with that dude, but he is really struggling from the line. 
But he, again, was the MVP of this game by far. So him missing some free throws. None of them missing their free throws really mattered. But it was still annoying to see that we still can't hit free throws. And they're getting paid so much money. Um, And get this with some plus minus fun facts. The only person who played double digit minutes and had less than negative 10 as their rating was Kelly Oubre. He had a minus 9. He played like 36 minutes. He was really the only person who had a good game. Everyone else sucked. And I've gotten to the point now with Gordon Hayward where every time he shoots, I just assume that it's not going to go in. So that's kind of sad since he's getting paid $30 million to do absolutely nothing. Although he has found his offense here in the last few games, but I don't know if that's more of just a consequence of us missing half of our other scores. And with Terry back in the lineup, it seems to have thrown off his rhythm, and Terry's still finding his rhythm because he played like crap. So he's usually a good force of offense, even if he's not a defender. Um, Again, we are the worst defensive team in the NBA. There's no one really on our team that is defense first, other than Cody Martin. But even he, he had a terrible game, to be honest. I've been a huge fan of Cody this year. Everyone had a bad game. It's just a matter of who had the least bad game. Um, But... I guess it's not an MVP. It's like the the LBP, like the least bad player. Um, so congrats, Kelly. You were the LBP. Um, but Cody Martin was like negative 24. He missed everything. He, I think he started even. Um, so he couldn't really provide his spark off the bench. And then um, Nick Richards played three minutes. Negative 10 rating. So he played for the first three minutes of the game and never came back in. So I don't really know what was going on with that. Or at least that's what it said. I don't remember that happening. I watched the game up until about halfway through the fourth quarter. And then I turned it off. I wish I would have kept watching because Kai Jones got some minutes. I would like to see him in action. Because I'm very curious because he's so raw. But whatever. I, I couldn't watch it anymore. We were done by 30. And then we got it back to within like... 16 or 15 and then they jumped it back up to 27 i was like all right i'm good because i usually like to watch even in the garbage time because players like kai jones and james book or um yeah book knight will get minutes but book knight already played and played like crap so uh, but really this is just kind of a throwaway game the mavs also dominated us in the preseason so I don't know if it's just a bad matchup for the Hornets or what's going on with that because that was the game. I think the Hornets ended up losing in the preseason by like 60 or something ridiculous. And I was like, is this something we should be worried about? Uh, But apparently, even without Luka, the Hornets cannot guard or make shots against the Mavericks. Um, Because the Hornets, the 40% from the field, honestly, was helped by garbage time, because they started out so cold. They were not defending, and when they don't defend, they will have a hard time winning, because they are last in defensive rating. And we are, like, second to last in second chance points allowed, and in the bottom five in points in the paint allowed. So, if we're not defending well, then we're going to have a hard time winning, because our offense, it we are one of, if not the best, offensive teams in the NBA. We're averaging like 115 points a game, but we also give up like 120 points a game. So it's going to it's gonna be very difficult for the Hornets to win anything. 
if they're not defending. And they're going to have a hard time defending any team with a functional big man. That's why you saw the Sixers score 125 points in back-to-back nights. Joel Embiid literally could not be stopped. It's like every time he touched the ball, it was a score. I think he ended up going like 15 for 19 with 43 points or something ridiculous like that. So it's going to be very difficult to defend against teams with a prominent big man. And with that prominent big man, even if you stop him, even if you stop a Porzingis, even if you stop a Joel Embiid, if they kick it out, we do not close out well on three-pointers at all. Our three-point defense, the percentages, I don't know what the percentages are, but what I see on the film is horrific, especially if there's a big man involved because we switch on screens we have no business switching on. I do not understand it. Why would you keep switching with Joel Embiid and putting Terry Rozier, not Terry Rozier, um, oh my goodness, Ish Smith on Joel Embiid? Why do you keep switching Booknight onto Porzingis? And why the heck is Booknight jumping at pump fakes 30 feet from the basket on Porzingis? Yes, he can make those, but you'd much rather give him a 30 point or 30 foot three pointer then let him just drive to the basket on you after a pump fake. Because Booknight versus Porzingis in the paint is an even bigger mismatch than Booknight versus Porzingis above the three-point line. So I don't really understand what Booknight was doing. He has a lot to learn. He's a rookie, though, so very wrong. And he's been impressive. My my anger or frustration is not directed at Booknight so much. Yes, he had a dud of a game this time, but he's barely gotten any minutes. I mean, he's a rookie and a even an inexperienced one at that. So I don't think that those are entirely his fault. And then um, what I don't understand is why we were so bad with our players returning. We got Terry Rozier back. We got Nick Richards back. We got, I think we had PJ, but we got a few players back and we got worse. So I don't know if it's because we just have to get back used to the rotations or if Terry was just not not up to speed, if he was rusty. I don't really know what it was, but it was very frustrating to watch because we sat there and watched them compete against four teams in a row and going two and two. They competed against the Hawks. They competed against the Sixers twice. They beat the Hawks, really, and then they beat the Kings, and then we sit there and watch them get throttled after they get more help. So, I I don't know. I guess I'll just attribute it up to a matchup nightmare for us versus the Mavericks for some reason, because they do have some bulky guards who can get down in the paint versus us, and they have a lot of passers on their team that they can kick. Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway Jr., they were both destroying us. And then they have Porzingis, who is a nightmare matchup for the Hornets because he's a big man and he's a big man who could shoot. That's a nightmare for anyone, but especially the Hornets who do not have a functional, serviceable big man. And also, the Hornets have played more road games than anyone else in the NBA. We have played 17 road games. 17 out of like 28 games. I think we played 29 games and 17 of them have been on the road. So 12 at home and 17 on the road. And we're 10 and 17 on the road. And the only other team who's played 17 is the Celtics. And they are like half a game below us. So we've pretty much been the exact same as the Celtics, even though they beat us 
but I still think we should have won that game. And the Hornets have also played so many freaking close games. I think they're 15 and 13 right now, or 15 and 14. They could easily be like 23 and whatever, or have 23, 24 wins. Or they could also have 23, 24 losses. So I guess they ended up somewhere in the middle. And I have a a thinking, or I have a feeling that they're going to be hanging out around the 7 to 10 seed for the duration of the season. I just would love to see LaMelo in a playoff game, a playoff atmosphere, because I just want to see what he would do, because I really think that he thrives in those Showtime games, those big moments, and I just would love to see what happens when he gets in that moment of of it mattering so much in playoff basketball. I think that he would look really... It would be very fun to watch these Hornets in the playoffs. So I really hope that we get a chance to do that. Um, and in the last eight games, the Hornets have been... Um, what have they been? Two and six, I guess? I mean, it easily could have been six and two, or it also could have been 0 and 8. They've played so many close games. They've close against the Hawks, close against the Kings, close against the Sixers twice... I mean, really, it's just been close game after close game after close game. I'm so tired of watching these close games. I'm going to have a heart attack if they keep up with these close games. So um, I would love for them to stop with that. And as for next games up for the Hornets, it is pretty much the road trip from hell because they have the Spurs, Portland. They have a back-to-back with Phoenix and Utah. And then they get Denver a couple days later. So out of those five or six, they really need to take two. They really need to take two. They really should beat the Spurs, and they really should beat Portland. If they don't win those two games, they might go over five because I don't see them beating the Suns for sure. I don't see them beating the Jazz or the Nuggets. So they've done historically bad against those teams. <laughs> In the last couple of seasons. I remember last year. I think it was the Jazz who put up like 53 pointers in that game. So that was a nightmare. But I this is this could get rough. So buckle in. Because it is not going to get any better. For us here. Um, and it's going to be even worse for the Panthers. So let me take a drink before I talk about these bombs. So... The Panthers. Oh, my God. I don't know what's going on. It's awful. I don't know. I cannot tell you what is going on with the Panthers. It's just... Watching them is so hard. It's not even fun. Like, with the Hornets, at least they're fun to watch. You know, they may lose by 20, 30 points. But they're, for the most part, trying. You can see the hustle. You can see them, like... Actually, like, flashes of good... Like, oh, they drop a 30-point deficit to 16, 15. Like, you see some life. But with the Panthers, it's like, even when they're only down by a touchdown, you just have that feeling like the game is already over. I went to the game this past weekend to the Falcons game, and they were up by 7. And I was so surprised and impressed because then they scored on the first possession out of the second half, too. And they were running no huddle for the first time in forever. Thank God. But... I just, it was just a disappointment to watch. Um, Them and the Falcons pretty much played very evenly. It was a very close game statistically. 
Um, they had a little bit more rushing yards, but overall the yardage was similar. Time of possession was similar. Everything was really similar except for the turnover battle. I don't think that the Panthers got a single turnover. Um, and unless it was a turnover on downs, I don't think they did. But the Panthers did committed three turnovers. One was Cam's fault, and the most important one was Cam's fault all the way. He threw that pick six, and that turned out to be the difference in the game, really. Because statistically, it was very similar. But with that pick six, that really solidified the Falcons' lead, and they never gave it up after that. And then, and that was just an easy one, too. It was just a bad pass, and then he went untouched. No one was even close to him. Not even a hard return. Straight line, 67 yards. And then there was the fumble, which I think is Cam Irving's fault and Chuba Hubbard's fault because Cam was, he got stepped on and he went to hand the ball off and he got it close enough for Chuba to be able to handle it. But this is not the first time we have seen Chuba fumble problems and it is not the first time we have seen Chuba exchange problems that he fumbled on the first play against was it the Giants in which he fumbled the exchange or it was like directly after the exchange someone got their hands on it and if you watch the video I think John Ellis was the one who put this on his Twitter of Chuba receiving the ball as the running back and you know you're supposed to do kind of like alligator arms you have one hand over the top and they're sideways, and he looked like he was catching a loaf of bread. I don't really know what he was doing, but he fumbled it. It wasn't even close, um, so I'm putting that one 50% on Cam Irving for getting blown up so bad that he instantly stepped on Cam's foot, and then 50% on Chuba Hubbard for making a terrible pocket for his quarterback to put the ball in and looking like he's not even ready to receive it. And then we had a P.J. Walker special, where he closes his eyes, turns around three times, and throws it up to whoever can grab it. I do not understand P.J. Walker at times. He has suspect decision-making at best, horrible, terrible throw choices at worst, and he's had multiple of these this season, and I myself have called for him to be put in for Cam, especially last game, one before the Falcons game in which they couldn't do anything on offense. I wanted him to go in, and then he threw a cross-body interception. And he's almost done that every single game that he's been in. And the ones he hasn't, it hasn't been for a lack of trying. It is because the defense has dropped the passes that he's he's thrown to them in their hands. So I don't really know what's going on in PJ's mind. I don't know if he thinks he's Kyler Murray or what, but... If the dude could cut out the terrible decisions, he could be a serviceable quarterback. And at times, he's looked better than Cam. And I don't understand Matt Rule. This is a whole nother discussion. I don't understand him subbing PJ in. I had to look at the depth chart to see if Cam Newton was hurt. And according to postgame, and this past week, Matt Rule said it was a packages thing. He put PJ in for certain packages. But normally, when you put a quarterback in for a package, it is because they have a different skill set than the original quarterback, and that quarterback, like, makes a difference. Like, for example, you might have 
um, pocket passing quarterback, and then you have a scrambling quarterback, and you have a certain set of packages for that scrambling quarterback. But with PJ and Cam, they have the same skill set, and Cam has a better one. Like, all of the plays that you'd run in that package, Cam can run them and better. Cam is even faster than PJ, so I don't understand what the thinking is there. If you look back at their 40 times, who knows how fast they are now, but 40 times Cam ran a faster 40 than PJ did. So if for all measurables, he is faster than him. And even if he's not, they're still in the same ballpark. It can't be anything more than a tenth of a second difference. And also, Cam is better at the read option than PJ. So if you're running read options with PJ, who held on to it for five minutes, made the wrong decision, and then lost five yards. I don't really understand that. I don't understand the logic of subbing in PJ for Cam for a packages reason. If you're going to sub in PJ for Cam because you think he's doing bad and you think PJ could do better, that's one thing. I don't think that that is the case. I thought that they should let Cam play it out, and I think that they should let Cam play out the rest of the season. But if you're going to sub him in for a packages thing, because you think he has a skill set or he's part of a package that could work better for you, then that's another thing. Like, and I know that you know what packages are, Matt Rule, because you use them against the Cardinals, where you brought Cam in in goal line situations because he's a bigger body, he's better in the red zone than PJ, and PJ's smaller. So you see how that makes sense? You see where Cam comes in because he's bigger and he has a different skill set and different abilities that allow him to be better in that situation. That is the point of a package. So I do not understand putting a quarterback with a worse version of the same skill set in for a package that that doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't. And say what you want, but PJ is not the answer. He's never been the answer. He's fine as a backup, serviceable backup. have no issues with him as a backup. But you don't take your starting quarterback out every time he struggles. That is not a recipe for success. Please show me show me where in football history in the NFL the two-quarterback system has worked out. Please show me that. Please show me where you don't know who the hell your quarterback is and you take out whoever messes up every time they mess up. I don't think you should do that to PJ either. I don't think PJ should be there in the first place. But every time you take him out, you ruin his confidence in himself and your confidence in him. He doesn't believe a word you say now. No one does. You're full of crap because everything you say or do contradicts itself every five minutes. I'm going to take a drink. Hold on. The issue with the Panthers up to this point and Matt Rule and even Fitterer, he is in on this as well. And even Tepper. You know what? All of them. Throw them all under the bus. I don't care. They have been so reactionary. There's been so many knee-jerk reactions to everything that has happened. Let's look back at the knee-jerk reactions that have happened. Let's see. Teddy has a bad year. Granted, yeah, sure. He had a bad year. But it wasn't horrible. It was like some good moments, some bad moments. Like, hard to watch. But I could warrant getting rid of him. But then to spend a second, a fourth, and a sixth on Sam Darnold, huge overreaction. Although I thought that Sam Darnold would be successful, but that is a steep price to pay for him. I'll eat, I'll eat crow on that one. I thought he was going to be a lot better than he was. And those first three games, I guess they were just a, 
flash in the pan. But in his defense, PJs, Cams, and Teddies, no one could succeed with the offensive coordinator they were given. No one can succeed with this offensive line. We really won't know what we have until we get a serviceable offensive line. And it seems like the offensive coordinator who's in there now has a little bit better of an idea of what he's doing because um, they they seem to be a little bit more put together on offense, but you really can't make anything work if you don't have anything in the trenches because plays are getting blown up every time you run them. It's so hard to run an offense when you don't have an offensive line. Newsflash, it's very difficult. And I love J.C. Horn, but this all makes it very hard to stomach when you watch Rashawn Slater and you watch Sewell succeed so much. And our first-round pick is sitting on the bench after he broke three bones in his foot. And foot injuries are nothing to play with. Who knows? This might be something that recurs every year. He's going to be the defensive version of Christian McCaffrey, maybe. I hope not. And he looked really good when he was in there. But ever since then, it's been downhill. And I just, I don't really know what it could have been like. Maybe if we take Rashawn Slater, things are better. But again, he has short arms. So I don't think that our staff would have drafted them. And I'm starting to think that Matt Rule was drafting the players and not Scott Fitterer. Because it seems like all the players that Matt Rule wanted, he got. And it seems like no matter what the price was, that's what we went with. You see that in J.C. Horn. You see that in Chuba Hubbard. I don't know about the other picks, who picked them or what they were mentioned, but, I mean, when you've got your wife drafting players, that's going to be an issue. Um, So we got rid of Denzel Perryman. He flourished. I mean, there's so many players that we've gotten rid of because Matt Rule didn't like them. And I just wonder if we would have sat on our hands and kept our draft picks, maybe there would be a way out of this. And... We also overpaid McCaffrey. That wasn't fitter, but that all. Everything is compounding. And every time we make a reactionary move, it compounds even more. So what we need to do now is just sit on our freaking hands and stop making trades. Stop signing people. Stop cutting people. Just let it play out. Because we are never going to trade ourselves out of this hole. There is nothing or anyone that we can trade for that will get us out of this hole. No one's giving up offensive linemen that we need. We're going to have to do it in the draft. And we're going to have to draft every single offensive lineman we can because we need all the help we can get on the offensive line. It is embarrassing at this point that we thought that this offensive line would be serviceable. Starting the year, everyone knew that that was a problem. And everyone knew that that was a thing that needed to be addressed. And we did not address it until... I think the third round, because they wanted to take Terrace Marshall in the second round. Let's see, who did he play for? Where did he play at? Oh, LSU. Joe Brady. I mean, do we do we let the coaches draft every single person? There's a reason they're coaches and not general managers. The coaches coach. The general managers make draft picks and manage. Player personnel. Hello? What is the point of hiring someone for player personnel. What's the point of hiring a GM if you're just going to let the coaches pick the players? There's a reason why you don't let players pick players. There's a reason why you don't let coaches pick players. Yes, sometimes, occasionally, but it seems like to me we let the coaches pick a lot of the players just because they wanted someone, they wanted a shiny new toy. And it really, really pisses me off because everyone knew that the issue going into the season was the offensive line. 
and we continued to ignore it and put out people that we knew were not good. We signed players to big contracts on the very first day of training or very first day of free agency that we knew were not going to work out, and now we're surprised. That is insanity. I do not understand this front office. I do not understand this coaching staff except for Phil Snow. And um, our special teams have been good. Thank God for Zane Gonzalez. The one bright spot in this team right now is that our kicker is the most consistent that he's ever been. I And I hate that we don't even get to appreciate it because he's just bombing 50-yarders back and forth during our losses. Like, doesn't even matter. I think I said at the beginning of the season the Panthers would go 7-10, and 10, maybe 8-9. and nine. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was somewhere around there. And now I'm thinking that we're going to go 5-12. and 12 Because I do not see a win coming in these next four weeks. I don't see us beating the Bucks either time. I do not see us beating the Bills. Not even close. And I, especially with our quarterback play, God, if you have the Bills on your fantasy team and you're playing the Panthers, do it. Put them in. They will destroy us. But, um, and then the Saints is a toss-up, I think. Um, it could go either way because we've both been bad. The Saints have been better than us, though. So I wouldn't be surprised if they won that one. So 0-4 or 1-3 with the win against the Saints. That is how it is trending. And at this point, we're looking at the 5th through the 8th pick, somewhere around there. We'd like to get up there as high as we can because this team sucks. So the higher we can get, maybe we can trade back and get some offensive linemen or keep it and draft an offensive lineman. Maybe my boy Icky out of NC State. That would be great get a tackle that can actually play a tackle and doesn't have short arms. Is that is that the problem that we're going with? So the biggest thing right now, I think, is just working toward next year. And working toward next year would be like losing, which we don't have a problem with. That's the one thing we're good at. So, But knowing the freaking Panthers, they'll win like two out of these last four and get up to seven wins and drop, drop back to like the 11th pick and we'll have no one good to get. So... At this point, just lose all four games. Let's go into the draft. 5-12, and 12, get like the sixth pick. And if you're keeping up with it at home and you want to cheer for certain teams, we want to go Seahawks. They are the ones uh, that we need to cheer for. The Bears and the Giants. Those are the three that really are in front of us. Um, so the Seahawks gave their pick to the Jets, but you know it's based off where the Seahawks finished, so... Seahawks, Bears, Giants. Those are the teams that we need to win from here on out. So we need to cheer for them so we can get a better draft pick. And hopefully with that draft pick, we will draft an offensive lineman with the world's longest arms because apparently that is what is important to us. So, yep. But that's it for this podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, click like, click subscribe, download it, whatever you want to do. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your dog, whoever. But I will talk to you all later. Peace.